G'day and welcome back to the Voice of a Veteran podcast. This is a very special episode. In this episode, I had a sit down with the one and only Dan Kieran, Victoria Cross winner. Dan is a young man with a young family and the insights that come, out, come through in this podcast are really, really insightful as we dive deep into purpose and authenticity. From a guy who has had everything but thrown at him and has come out even more so steadfast in who he is and why he does what he does. Really tune in, have a great listen, some key takeaways for everyone, be you a veteran or not, from one of Australia's arguably most authentic individuals, Dan Kieran. Enjoy. All right, g'day and welcome back to the Voice of a Veteran podcast. I am here with the man himself, Dan Kieran, VC, or Dashing Dan of Derapat, as I like to call him. <laughs> Dan, welcome. Happy to join you today, mate. Thanks for having me. Mate, extreme pleasure to have you on board. Um, for those listening, Dan is a recipient of the Victoria Cross, Australia's highest award for gallantry. Um, I love it says for valor, which he received for um, his performance during the Battle of Derapat, 2010, Afghanistan. You actually achieved it in 2012. Correct me if I'm wrong. That's right. Yeah, two years later. Yeah, yeah right. I, I love yeah. that. I love that story. So <laughs> we're gonna we're going to because there's so much. I'm actually bubbling with excitement to talk to you, mate. Um, just because recently Dan's released his book Courage Under Fire. Did you know that that is the name of my favorite Meg Ryan movie back in 1996? I, I actually do because I queried that when it came out. It's like, oh yeah, I remember Meg in that movie. So I was <sighs> like, are you sure you want to go with that name? And they're like, yeah, yep, yep, good to go. So. Mate, you got <laughs> even more cred in my books for that. I remember 1996. I was uh, what in grade six, so I was 11 years old. I remember watching that movie and it was fantastic and there you go anyway no copyright here for Meg Ryan sorry <laughs> but uh you've released this book mate and um I literally took three days to read it and in the second half of this I really want to go through that line by line because there's so much that is relatable to particularly the veterans that are going to be listening into us um and just the way you pull apart things and tell it authentically as it is from your lived experience I want to jump into but more than happy yeah good to start with I want to know who is Dan the man himself <laughs> We talk a lot about in the veteran community, loss of purpose, loss of identity. Um, you are a guy who's gone through many identities, both your own assumed and provided. Mm. How do you like to be identified as these days? Look, that is a, a very interesting question to start off with because I can tell you right now, I, it's certainly changed throughout the years. And I was a, a kid from the bush who, mm -hmm. who had grown up with a very hard, tough upbringing to then uh, you know military service and then change of career after after you know 10 years into the mining industry so i was a miner for a bit and then the victoria cross comes along and it completely upends and changes my life yeah uh, to the point of you know further study you know finishing my master's in business to to working where i am now in defense industry so from from a kid that grew up with dirt floors to, to where i am now yeah i have changed uh professions and changed a lot as a person along the way i i know i've sort of mentioned it in the book there and you, you've already sort of mentioned it i you know i finished my career in defence and slept on the side of the road to get a job in the mining industry. So yep. for me, it has been a wild ride the last uh, last couple of decades to, to where I am now. But for me, I think uh, what is really important, and, and I always look back in this memory fondly, and it's it's all my grandfather's words to me when I was a kid of, you know, who you, who you are as a person and what you represent. Yep. Um, and, and again, he was talking about your personal ethos. And for me, yeah, look, I've, I've certainly changed uh, over the years. But I think for me, I think it's important to to be honest, and that was part of the, the book, the process that I went through. I wanted to be as honest as possible yep. with what I'd been through and, and my experiences. So, so that's that's where I'm at at, at, at the moment. So, yep. man, I'm just a normal bloke, just just trying to get on and, and try and do the right thing where I, where I, where I can. That's it. So, Dan, of today, if I'm going to introduce you to someone, how would you like to be introduced as? Uh, usually, it's just Dan. That okay. is it. Okay, I Dan. like that. Who's this? Yep, Dan. How you going? Very good, and we're <laughs> here in the. 
beautiful suburbs of Brisbane and this is this is the life these days. I mean, the majority of your service was at 6RR and you have such a an exceptional career. You definitely had a very unique time and experience and I want to dive into that a lot. And how about your connection back to the, the veteran community? You still work within defence industry, but like, how are you still connected to the veteran community these days? Yeah, look, absolutely. And I, I always will be. Look, I, I joined, I was 17 years old. I you know, had two weeks from finishing year 12 to on the bus and, and my training started. So I will always hold defence uh, in a special place of my look, I grew up in defence. I was a I was a kid when I joined, mate, and, yeah. and I was a man when I when I finished. Certainly not my service, but my training, and I'd grown up a lot, and matured a lot during that process. So I've I've always maintained my links with defence after after leaving full time, and I, I am still a reservist, although it's quantified as as representative duties nowadays. Yeah. Uh, but I look, I I am still involved with a number of veteran charities now, and uh, mates for mates, I've I've done some work. I, I don't really signal any individual yeah. out or so out just because I. If I can help, I, I try to help if I've got the time to be able to do so and, and have, you know, supported a number of organisations from Soldier on to Mates and Mates for Wounded Heroes throughout the, the number of years that um, that I've uh, had the Victoria Cross anyway because it has given me that pl- platform to be able to talk to you today and, and talk to veterans. Yeah, so, absolutely. Very fortunate to, to have that opportunity as well. <laughs> yeah. He's a man that's had some polished training between <laughs> that and now. I like it. No, it's good, mate, and it's, and it's great to hear that coming from you that connection back to the veteran community. I mean, I when I left Defence, I sort of left and just wanted to move on and get amongst it. And, and reading through your story, you know, you moved out and, and got into your mining and, you know, really had to focus on those sort of survival skills, providing for your family and, and what's next. So yeah. I'm fascinated by this reservist link yeah. and how you found that moving from, um, you know, high-end combat through to um, a more sedentary life with just lineages through reservists. <laughs> Yeah, look, I mean, that was a, it was a tough call. I uh, so I wanted to go special forces. There's no no secret there, and the, the yeah. body wasn't the mind was willing. The body wasn't up to the task, yeah. uh, unfortunately. And look, I look back, and and uh, I certainly don't regret anything. There's a number of opportunities where I could have taken early on, where I was in the right mindset and, and body was good to go, and yep. and took trips for whatever reason. Yeah. But I couldn't do that. So for me, that was a, a number of reasons. But that was one of the reasons that I chose to transition out of defence. Yep. But it, it was, it was a, a, I think I applied for 40 jobs at that point in time in my life. So this is 2011 and I didn't get a look in, I didn't even get a call back. Right. So here I am, I've taken my long service. I'm starting to freak out going, well, do I, you know, I started pondering, do I go back into defense because I, I need to pay the bills. Right. Yeah. But uh, fortunately enough, uh, I did have a mate that was working in Kalgoorlie in the mines and said, look, come across. And, and hence I did. I literally, as I said, I, I drove across and started work the, the day that I arrived in Kalgoorlie, I went out to site such on the side of the road because that's what I had to do to, to provide for the family at that point in time. But yep. for me, I was I was a bit lost at that point in time. And defence from a you know very professional uh, organisation as as it is, and you know there's always problems within in uh, defence and organisations uh, that are that big. However, going from a professional organisation like that into the mining industry and the freedom that I had all of a sudden, yeah, uh, yeah, it was a massive shock to the system. Uh, I think I did it in a way as well to to try and transition and break as many ties as I possibly could. Yep. Not that I had bad experiences, but I, I think I wanted a fresh start as well in a, in a new career. Reinventing yourself? Yeah, a little yep. bit, mate, a little bit. I, I wanted to, to try something new and, and for me, I I think that lasted about 12 months and there was a local reserve unit and, and a few guys there. I didn't have many friends that were there and I was always away working. I was in the on the drill rigs um, doing uh, diamond drilling and, and blasting, not blasting at that point in time, sorry, and... Yep. Um, Heard that the bag man? Uh, yeah, the bag man. That RC terrible. So, yeah, literally, <laughs> literally, you know, fifty kilos worth of uh, rock and sample that has been dug up, and you're literally just 
carrying it around all day, all day doing 12 hour days in the sun so it wasn't you know it wasn't with, uh, your, com- with your complexion oh, I know, too, mate. yeah i know that's, that's why i'm looking the way i am now right <laughs> so, a few extra freckles yeah mate but it was it was it was a good reset i think yep. you know i didn't really have to think that hard it was a, a process driven thing from point a to point b that's that's what i was doing right. so, so i really want to hone into that so you you had a, a quite a, a varied um and excellent career just as far as experience deployments um and also your, your own personal experiences, the, the Victoria Cross aside, um, just as far as, you know, setting you up for a um, to be a, an everyday Australian after this with some ex- excellent life skills and experience and really valuing what um, should hold value in today's society. Um, as Emerson Benny would say, I'd definitely say, but I want to really find, hone in on that purpose. So your, your purpose for service, we so, you sort of talk about um, why you wanted to join and where you came from in your upbringings. Mm. Um, you were very, very heavily influenced by your grandfather. Yeah, absolutely. I can, I can definitely relate to that. My grandfather served in Korea and Vietnam. And, uh, you know, again, it's just incredible having those people in our lives to, to forward scout for us or at least to, to help steady the rudder as well. But so much of your purpose to join the defence, is it correct to say, came from him? Look, it was. I mean, it was, there, were, well, there was two reasons. One was uh, that exactly that, and and just that how I held him in such a high regard, and you know, if he said it was that was okay, well, then that was okay by me as well. And the other one was just there was no no opportunity mate, where I was, and, yeah, and I realised that, and I was very fortunate to have again have his guidance. He was more of a mentor. Like he was my hero. I say that all the time, but yeah. he he was. He was that individual that spent time with me, that would listen to me, that would guide me, that you know wouldn't really push me in any direction, but he was always there for me in that sounding board. And for me, you know, I worked it out myself quite quickly that there was no opportunity where I was as a kid. I was going nowhere. I, who knows what would, would have happened to me if I had to stay there, put it that way. Yeah, um, got it. And, and for me, it was a way out of that lifestyle. Yep. Defence was a way out of that lifestyle, so I took that up. Uh, and that purpose was driven from, I think, the individuals around me as well. Yeah. You know, you're only as, as good as your team and that. And I had some great mentors and individuals throughout my career in defence that, that that did want to make me a better soldier and a better person and perform to a, you know, a, a greater level. And then I get out of defence, and that wasn't the case. Yeah, no, gotcha. <laughs> but it was. I mean, it was a, that transitional period, you know, in the mines for that nearly four-year period there, where there's a lot of freedom there, and you know, the whole purpose of that again was to reset. And I didn't really get that opportunity. Um, yeah. I started to get that opportunity, then I was, as I said, I was dragged back in with the the VC coming along. Now that sounds a bit harsh, dragged back in, but it, uh, I understand. I was 17 when I joined, and you know, we already mentioned it, it was, you know, that was for me, an opportunity to start giving back after, you know, you're awarded something like this. It is a, a sounding board again or an opportunity to to talk to people, yeah. to to inform people of the mistakes that I've made. I've made plenty of mistakes over time. And to be a potential mentor to other people as well, to, to get them through some of the really tough and shit times that I had from that transitional period because it wasn't great. No, it's absolutely, mate. Hearing you speaking uh, with responsibility as opposed to entitlement is so uh, relieving. I've met... I haven't met uh, many Victoria Cross winners. I've met plenty of people who've had um, exceptional performance and success in their career. And it's very interesting to see that as being often the catalyst through which they then conduct themselves um, with entitlement, entitlement and expectation. Or as I can see with you, is that, that, that power it unleashes in, in a responsible nature, that, that nurturing, that mentorship, that ability to then utilise that platform to go back and support others, backcasting yourself as like, hey, what would I have liked to have known throughout my career? And 100%. What, exactly. Everyone says like that younger you... What are some of those key stories that um, now that you have transitioned, you've gone through at multiple identity phases and where you are now, for those currently listening in service, with everything that's going on at the moment and contemplating the next step in their life, what are the lessons that Dan has learned that he'd pass on? 
I tell you what, yeah, that you know that sense of entitlement. Uh, I think that straight away, right there, is is the wrong attitude and mentality to have. I mean, you know, I we all work really hard, right? For you work really hard with what you're doing, and, and I do as well. And but for me, I think the lessons learned for me, the, the big things um, that I would go back and, and tell my my younger self is certainly around risk. And I'm not talking about risk on the battlefield, but yep. taking risks. Um, for me, I was somewhat risk adverse. You wouldn't think so, but I really was. If there was an opportunity presented to me. Going well, am I good enough? Can I actually do that job? Is this something that you know I would fail at, or I'm going to look silly doing? I look, is this imposter syndrome? Have yeah, you heard it, of this it is, man. It absolutely, right? Hundred percent, it is. But I think again, you don't I'm, suffer from that now. No, Victoria well, Cross winner, well, and well, I suffer from a lot of things. Man. You, you mentioned one of them. I am, you know, allergic to the sun. But <laughs> for, for me, I, you know, it was, it was, am I good enough to do this? And yeah. I think. Studying the MBA was was part of breaking down some of those barriers as well. Going well, hang on a minute, I've got all these other people in this room that are on the same path as me, and and they've got varied experiences, and, and mine's very different. But I'm I'm still I'm still doing it with them, and and very still you know still up to the standard of what they were as well. So I think that was part of it. But I think also I'm very fortunate where I've had all these opportunities from you know I was working in Channel Seven as a guest presenter briefly to. Yep. the mines and then the defense background and the, the hardships and everything associated with that and the, the situations that you put in certainly on, on operations to to now you know running your own business to on the speaking circuit like i've had all these crazy so different um jobs and yep. you know the brains on you know creative side here it, like it's just all over the place right yeah. so for me i think do you enjoy that variety though yeah, I did. Look, yeah. uh, the COVID's come along and sort of shaken that off a bit, but I think I've, I've enjoyed the break as well. But I did, I did enjoy that variety, and yep. I've not many people get that, and I understand that not many people will have those opportunities. But for me, I've I've taken a step back further now and, and focused just on the on the career now that I have, yep. trying to anyway, and you yeah, know, gotcha. still still trying to help veterans where I can, and still promoting mental health and and uh, you know, I should say uh, well being as well because it is so important. You know, I yeah. haven't always had good days as well, like everyone else. We have a good and bad days, and, and that transitional period, as I spoke about, was you know was certainly tough. But for me, it's a risk taking. Take yeah. those risks. If I could tell myself, put yourself out there more. Put myself yeah. out there. What's the worst thing that can happen? You could fail. Exactly. You know, we've all failed plenty of times, right? No, I'm with you. I mean, what you know, got to worry about? Even myself in the last year, mate. Um, that realization that so often you are literally the only person holding yourself back. Yeah. Um, and it's and it's really important for people to hear it from someone like yourself and where was that sort of point for you whereby you realized that you were often that person holding yourself back was there a catalyst or is it ongoing or uh i think it was probably a couple of years after receiving the vc in all honesty look i you know i was completely i'll go back a step again (laughs) i keep on saying that but for me it was i think the realization all of a sudden that there's an award now associated with my name it's so much bigger than me and all of a sudden there's all these expectations on you and yeah. there's a certain way you need to behave and, and talk and this and that. And some of it was self-imposed, but some of it's not as well. There's just this, the history there and a, a custodian of something that, that is, you know, held in such a high regard that you really need to to adhere, I think, a little bit to to some of what those that have gone before me who have yeah. had the award have done because, uh, you know, it is all of a sudden people want to talk to you and chat with you. And it is so interesting I don't know all the answers, that. man. I don't know yeah. all the answers, but people do. But I've, I've certainly lived enough life and have <laughs> I've had a, a varied life experiences to be able to comment on a number of things. So for me, yeah, yeah absolutely. I look at it like that. Um, so you, yeah. it's funny, you, you do this incredible act to achieve the Victoria Cross um, and to deserve the Victoria Cross. And then all of a sudden you're then <laughs> having the responsibility of the Victoria Cross. So you can't just say like, look, I've, I've did my deed, you know, 
thank you so much for this. Uh, I would like to now relax and move on from my life. It's like, all right, now this is the new definition of you. <laughs> well, look, I can always say no. And I think, look, honestly, you know, we're talking about what I do differently. And, and that's part of it is, is realizing when your bucket's full and going, you know what? Yeah. Hey, I've got too much on my plate uh, to say no. Uh, I want to quickly, okay. I want to quickly dive into that because yeah. I, during my transition, I sort of got out, jumped straight into a business, and then sort of left that. And like you, I, I sat there. I remember jumping on LinkedIn and Seek and putting in like over a hundred applications without a single callback. Yeah, that's and tough. probably you, you're, I definitely can guess you're the same sort of person. If you can actually sit down and speak with someone, like you're, you're going to win them over, you know, through your competence and through your character. But then sitting there and thinking that you did have something to offer, and then literally like zero callback. So that that's that's a hit. That's, that's where that imposter syndrome starts to, to yeah. tap in, and um, the ability to then turn that around to when all of a sudden you're being saturated with opportunities. There's already essentially this personal or professional trauma from rejection over here. So you start going to everything that comes in. I'm jumping on with two hands because I've come from being this. What's that, Eddie Murphy? The, the starving man to oh my goodness, that's the best <laughs> goddamn cracker I've ever had. Yeah. Um, you start throwing yourself at it and then also you're then combined with this responsibility on top of it. That's a bloody avalanche ready to, to crush the man underneath. Well, look at, yeah, look at, it, look, it hasn't been without its challenges, but I, I think in a way I didn't look, certainly didn't seek it out, right? I, and I always acknowledge I should be dead for what I did in, in Afghanistan and I, I know I wouldn't and it's always important to note that I would probably not be here if it wasn't for my team and my mates. So mm-hmm. I always say that because it's so true. It is yep. absolutely true. Um, but I didn't seek any of this outright so for it to completely upheaval my life and it was it was an upheaval of opportunity nearly going where am i going to go it's like throwing a dart at a dartboard going well all of a sudden i've got 20 people going well hey you know i've heard you speak or you know i've done this you know i think there's an opportunity here for us to do something from having nothing at all and and having all those doubts going well you know i did have hang-ups about well can i can i actually do it and then then, you know then you start taking some of these things on you go well I got repeat work. I must have done all right, and then yeah. you, know, you start building your confidence. Going well, why can't I do it? You know what? What's holding me back? And you said it before perfectly. It's it's ourselves or, or me at that point in time. I was holding myself back. Yeah. So and so along the way, have you really? You know, you've definitely got a lot of uh, notoriety with the Victoria Cross as sponsor that's come from that. Has there ever been those conversations internally to you? You know, again, like Dan versus the VC differentiation between the two. One supporting the other. The other supporting you you know, getting to know and best represent yourself personally as opposed to just a custodian. I'm very keen to understand how that might have gone in your head. Yeah, mate, look, that's uh, a conversation my um, my partner Casey and I uh, literally just before about that and about an opportunity of doing something and we're like, well, actually, how would that be perceived by someone who was awarded the Victoria Cross? And the answer was, well, that probably wouldn't be taken very well. So then all of a sudden it's like, well, I probably shouldn't do that then. Like those conversations happen often um, whereby I'm like, well, that wouldn't be, you know, general public, whoever out there, my mates, my friends um, would go, well, that's, you know, that's a bit bit out of touch to, to be doing something like that because of what I represent all of a sudden. So, it, Matt, it's, it's tough. But see, this is I it. So, that right. No, it's no, tough, I get man. you. But the, the key part for me that actually makes you so much more relatable, likable and inspiring is actually your authenticity. You know, and again, reading through your book and even just talking with you and, and having these conversations, it's, you know, the, the true Aussie part. And if there's like a, an, an Aussie flair to being a Victoria Cross recipient, it's actually being, you know, true and authentic yourself uh, and appreciating that, yes, you, you received this award, but at the end of the day, you, you're still a man, you're still your own person. And then this sort of path before you that is yours to forge. 
um, you talk about a lot of these considerations and conversations with activities. Mm. There's not an official measuring stick. I'm sure there are some rules, <laughs> but it's in your – so you now have what you believe the expectations are of Victoria Cross recipient, mm-hmm. and then you have yourself who is a Victoria Cross recipient, and now you're trying to put them together to determine what you should or shouldn't do based off your own primarily, right. um, holding yourself back or not allowing yourself to do things look, otherwise. Uh, mate, there's a book behind me with, you know, all the, all the recipients ever to have it. And, and you're right, you know, you look at it and go, well, you know, how have they conducted themselves? And then, you know, how have I conducted myself? And where do I sit? It, might, it is, yeah. I don't know, it's, again, it's it maybe it's self-imposed and I should just do what I want, but that's not my way, mate. Like, well, I think... One thing that I, one strategy that I've developed is actually bringing it all back to purpose. And you'll keep hearing me saying this, and this is like this authentic purpose. And it was great for you diving in previously, talking about your purpose for joining the military. And I think so many people can level with that. Again, I finished school here in Brizzy, just turned 17, went straight into ADFA. And, you know, I was a brat. And thank <laughs> God for the military. But then along the way, finding our purpose in service. Um, and I'm probably going to guess that you very rapidly found your purpose to be those that you served with. And that usually is how we go along. There's definitely the service to the nation, what you're doing. But then when it comes down to be it, when it gets tough, when you get in a gunfight, it's those people that you're with. And that's one of the hardest part for people to appreciate. Listening to guys like you talk is, you know, during those times of combat, you're more worried about letting your mates down. Um, yeah. and, and failing the mission. And that's, that's, a, that's a huge and powerful purpose that makes us not yeah. care for our own lives. That's it, mate. It's a really good way of putting it because I, you know, everything that I did, certainly in operations and you know, even here in Australia, it was because of those around me. And, and when, when it isn't going well and, you, you know, the bullets are flying and, and guys are getting hurt, you, you put yourself out there because, you know, my purpose, certainly in that point and that, that time, is to look after those around me and to protect them. And I think, you know, for me... You know that is the that is, that's certainly got me through my my deployments as well, and it certainly focused me when it all went to shit. Is is that purpose of of you know trying to help? Um, and I said this once before on a podcast, so I'll, I'll repeat it. But it is I think love for mankind, for those around you, love for your fellow soldiers to to want to be there for them and, and help them when it is really going downhill. That's it. It's that, so. it's that bromance, that love, that mateship. We try and <laughs> mate. I am um, the the so. biggest thing for me in realizing my my own mental health progress struggles whatever it is is that that culture and defense really is that force field that protects us and that net that catches us when we fall and that force field or that layer of resilience that i would now call it um you know not you don't worry about your personal ambulance or anything else that's going on with you because you're more worried about the men beside you and the mission you're trying to achieve and then more importantly i want to talk about then the loss of that purpose the loss of that community when you then transition from defense and it sounded like when you transition from defence, a real part of your purpose then went to like your family and your finances and you, you have to resort back to those survival mechanisms. Mm. And that's a going from a purpose outside of self that is the highest level, that exalts you to the highest level of performance, not based on anything other than your love for mankind, mm. to then having to have your purpose as yourself. Can you sort of look back and reflect upon that and how that sort of made you feel when you lost those layers of resilience essentially yeah look i did and i think uh, from defense to the mining industry not so much i think i was i was still pretty good then but i think okay. from from the four years after mining and then the vc coming along and then i'd, I'd say floating or i want to say floating not really when i started writing the book yeah. and certainly the last chapter there is and i won't you know ruin it for everyone but it is at that point in time in my life i was i wouldn't say i was lost by no means was i lost but I was trying to re-establish that purpose. Absolutely, right. it defines it quite well. I think where I've had all these opportunities, I'm you know I'm on the speaking circuit. I've I've, I've started my study, you know, and then finished it. But I hadn't had a, another career. I hadn't had that job really at that point in time, and, and got into it again and, and redefine myself. Yeah. I was sort of floating around a little bit, going, well, what's next? 
And I asked him, honestly, I would get up in the morning and nearly look in the mirror and go, you know, what's, what's next? What am I, what do I need to, what do I need to focus on and right. get after? And honestly, I had, I had that conversation with me because I knew it was missing and mm-hmm. I knew that I needed something. Otherwise, you know, then we start talking about, uh, you know, you, you just briefly mentioned, you know, mental health and the positives and negatives. For me, I think that was a potential there. I could have gone either way. Yeah. And I was very fortunate that I was like, well, no, nah, I'm, I'm not having that. I need to, to get after something and I need to find that purpose. And for me, it was getting into defence industry and the purpose behind that was to try and give back to those that are currently serving still, right. those that are in harm's way. If I can somehow give them the best equipment or whatever, the tactical advantage from my input on this end of it, All right. that that was my my purpose and that is why I'm doing what I'm doing now. That's so fascinating. I mean, within... Within defence, the uncertainty around uh, career is removed because it's so well articulated in black and white progressions and milestones. They need yeah. to do your sub two course to be a substantive rank, everything else in between. And uh, so it's very interesting for me listening to your piece on the outside. You know, every every time I even hear you referring to the, the mining time, you sort of knew the progression there. And then all of a sudden, um, as a reservist, you're then awarded the Victoria Cross and then you're, you're moved into this representational position. And then to hear that your purpose getting back in defence industry isn't to sort of chase a career and chase the money that can be made in there. I mean, you as an ambassador is, is powerful for procurement um, as well as motivating people. Can but open doors occasionally, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but for uh, yeah, not many people would not pick up the phone for you, mate. But then hearing that your purpose is actually giving back, that's where I find is the number one um, preventative and um, supportive treatment for veterans who are starting to mm. to struggle with that loss of purpose, loss of identity. Any way of reconnecting with, but even better, supporting that veteran community is not only therapeutic, it's so cathartic for veterans helping veterans being such a huge part. So it's so interesting hearing that that's actually your purpose behind it. It is now, mate, because I've yeah, been there and I've done it. Right? We've done yeah. it tough. We've been in the, you know, in, in the places we've been and going, you know what, <laughs> I wish I had this or I wish I had that or, you know, this would, my life would be so much better right now if, ah, if I had this. Good on you. And I, and I look at that and go, you know what, well, maybe I can affect change in that space. That's so, brilliant, mate, because so many of us would yeah. prefer to sit there and bitch and whinge and complain. And oh, you're plenty of that going along at the time. Oh, no, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, but, but the fact that, you know, I, I didn't come into here realising that. I thought you were looking for a nice, secure position, you know, oh. reading a book from the outside, not through the pages. And it's so fascinating. So you, you are actively contributing to the current defence capability in the best yeah. way that you can. Absolutely. And that was part of going to Australian Defence Apparel. So it was, that was the load carriage, you know, so many issues with our load carriage. I know yeah. you boys in the Special Forces don't have to worry about that <laughs> stuff. But for us, man, at that point in time, uh, bass and body armour and it didn't fit and it was heavy and it wasn't suited to purpose and all these things, like so many problems we had. I remember saying, if I'm going to yeah. die, I'm not going to be uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no matter what was there, like it, it was, it was absolutely, that was the catalyst for me to go, this could be done better. How can I try and affect change here yeah, good to make you. it better for those that when it really matters, you know, they are the benefit of, of me doing what I'm doing. Brilliant. So talk me through it because, I mean, I've just heard you on the phone before. I'm not going to repeat confidential conversations, but obviously you're dealing with some very, very interesting stuff. And to be honest, stuff that doesn't really tickle me pink hearing about it, but then hearing here and now what your actual purpose is doing that, that is actually so encouraging and motivating. And I'm sure that that is what is able to pull you again out of hey, this is boring, this is tedious, this is not what I want. Hey, this is not for me. You know, this is for an, an end state, an outcome, a, yeah. a, a true and authentic purpose. That's a- awesome. Absolutely. You can't remember, a lot of it's tedious and that, but I, I'm yeah. not used to working behind a desk yet either, mate. Yeah, so mate. I'm still at that transition of going, well, yeah, here all of a sudden I am behind a desk. I never thought I would be. And I've had a few yeah. mates, had a 10-year reunion with MTF1 yeah. just recently, and a number of them said, geez, I don't know how you'd be handling that working behind a desk. And I'm like, well, it has been a transition, but it, it's not – 
you know, it is for me, I should say, it is that that purpose of, well, I can affect change, so I'll keep at it. Um, and, and I'm also getting paid in the, whilst I'm doing it. But it is, yeah. honestly, that's the end state for me is can I affect change? Can I get the best equipment, you know, the tactical event, whatever it be, as long as I keep working towards that, uh, I'm happy. So. Good on you. So also at the same time while you're there behind the desk, you know, achieving your purpose, at the same time, you know, have all these skill sets and um, particularly probably a lot of those, those people skills and wanting to more give back. So this speaking circuit and then having those other things to keep you um, entertain in that variety that must also be a critical part to what you need personally yeah mate look it is a speaking circuit like I'm because I am still on the speaking circuit I mean COVID's killed that at the moment but it is for me excuse me for me I look I'm an introvert right massive introvert no. oh yeah I'm so tired so if I go and do a talk I reckon I could sleep for a day afterwards emotionally draining yeah I, look I don't get energy for it you know some people like yeah you know I girlfriend you. classic example like she just Gets energy from that. Just yep. pump her up for Infectious. me. I'm like, yeah. yep, straight yeah, down. You're right, okay. But it is. Even it. that's so interesting. I'm going to dwell on that, mate. <laughs> you are a you're a Victoria Cross recipient. You are Dan, dashing Dan from Derapat, mate. Um, you're also a lot of else in between, but I can imagine most people are coming to to hear the profile and then walk away really impressed with the, the man. But how is that emotionally draining? Is it in, in the prep and the lead up to it or is it? Uh, I'm not, Matt, I'm not sure. I think it, 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 for me, it is because I, you know, I have to be sort of extroverted for that period of time, nearly mm. that, I, I don't know, it just, it absolutely fatigues me doing it. Yeah, gotcha. I, I mean, I still, you still feel like you're being your authentic self though. Oh, but yeah, yeah. Look, like, it's still me. It's just a different, um, different version of me nearly where I, I do have to step it up and, and, you know, use some hand signals. <laughs> but it, it, it is. Not it field is, signals, but field hand signals. signals. Got it. Yeah, good. But uh, it is for me, uh, look, it's challenging, but I, I do enjoy it because I do have a number of key messages there that are very relevant and important. And, and again, it comes back to trying to help people. So if I if I say something and it's related, yes, I you know, all my talks are related to combat, but there's lessons throughout that those those talks and scenarios that I talk about that are relevant to everyday life and, and certainly business as well. And, and some of it's personal ethos and core values. Some of it has to do with you know the importance of planning other things, everything we've done you know, in the yeah. military that we take for granted. But for me, when I when I go and, and and do this it is again trying to to get people to be you know better at what they do and to, to not dwell on on the negatives and to, to push on right so yeah. i'm always about you know get off the couch and, and crack on so oh good mate good i mean that's having that purpose behind you is a key part you know a lot of the the guys and girls sally is sort of engaging with who are really starting to fall off the wagon is that transitioning out of defense um because they've sort of lost their purpose in there they're not transitioning to another purpose mm. you know like i'll figure that out later I might have a job that's high paying or things like that, but then appreciating that, you know, money yeah, is really not a purpose that's really sustainable at the, the soul nourishing level. And I've been there and done that. I can tell you right now that's not the case. Absolutely. Yeah, look, I mean, I did. I, I chased, chased money there for a bit, um, for a couple of years, in fact, and yeah, I certainly wasn't happy. I was Mate. away more than I've ever been in my life. I wasn't at home at all. Like, yeah, it was, yeah, it was great. I could, you know, do what I wanted, you know, certainly go out and if I wanted to do a whole lot of that, but I had no yeah. time to do it. Yeah, gotcha. <laughs> you know, like absolutely under the pump. Where what about that sort of, that person that made you sort of chase, did you ever get like chasing money, having that feeling of trying to, or? Um, uh, look, I think, uh, I certainly didn't have a scorecard, but for me, I think it was because I had nothing, all of a sudden it's like, well, I need to take everything, I need to do absolutely everything. Yeah, I can't gotcha. say no. I think more so I can't let people down. Yeah, I okay, think that got was it. more the point of saying yes to everything, and then a byproduct of that was remuneration yeah, to, got to, it. to doing what I was doing. But it, it wasn't the chasing money aspect; it was just, got I it. think, again, that point of saying no, gotcha. <laughs> Holo- well. hollowing yourself out. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, absolutely. And then you sort of hit a point. 
I did, yeah. So my mate um, who served with me as well as a, as a manager of and, and works with, with me as well, Marcus. And, I love that. Uh, he's that man. He's a good guy. And he had a, he had a word to me. He pulled me up. He said, mate, what are you doing? Like I can see a change in you and it's not a good one. Yeah. You need to, you know, again, find out what's important. You know, we draw a little circle, right? <laughs> Write a few things in there, what's actually important to you. Okay. Write everything down in a bigger circle and go, well, what's outside of that? Everything on the inside, well, that's important. That's what I need to focus on. Everything on the outside, well, that can wait. Yeah, good. That was it was a bit of a, a bit of an exercise of me, you know, doing a few doodles on a, on a page and going, well, okay, that's not important. I could cut that away. Specified, no, implied, essential task. Yeah, no, I can't <laughs> do that. What am I doing that? Okay, what is that? How does that benefit me or my mental health or whatever? Yeah, probably shouldn't be doing that. Honestly, yeah, I physically did that. Yeah. And it was, it was again a reset for me to go, well, I need to get back again to what's important to me and my family at that point in time, me and my family generally. Yeah. And, uh, and sort of have followed that methodology going forward and I've been a lot happier for it. That's fantastic, mate. And there's so many key messages in there. I want to jump on a couple of them. Um, again, sort of trying to relate this back to potentially any guys and girls hearing this at that point in their career in defense or potentially already have and having a another adjustment you know once you transition once you know i transitioned <laughs> i transitioned four times in my first year out and you've gone through you plenty like the victoria cross aside mate like plenty of others personally and professionally um and there's a lot of people who sort of come out of defense particularly let's say in the, in the combat course in army and really feeling like you know going to the mines or going to security um, is some of the safest bets for them. You know, they don't really feel like a lot of them have very transferable skills. Um, and then they potentially go to those places like applying for jobs and things like that. Uh, and then all of a sudden, um, they start to realise that we're actually good at solving problems. We're actually good at like deconstructing things and reconstructing them. We're actually good at, at working with people and teams and understanding true value um, and helping to encourage and motivate and support others and work ethic like nothing you've ever seen before. And all of a sudden, you start realizing that there's actually so many things you can possibly do. And then shiny things start popping up everywhere. And you start going and collecting all these shiny things because you've potentially gone from a place where you actually doubted that you had the skill sets to do some of these things. Mm -hmm. Also, it's exciting. There's potentially money there. Uh, there's variety there. Yep. And you end up burning yourself out. And one of the key support mechanisms here is so key along the way in leaving this culture that previously protects you and catches you mm. is then who you actually are surrounding yourself with to help provide you with those combat indicators because we are the worst <laughs> at doing it for ourselves. Absolutely. 100% agree. Mate. And how did you go about finding those people? Mate, particularly as a Victoria Cross winner, I'm sure you had people wanting to help you out left, right and centre probably for some of their own uh, agendas as well. Yeah, look, man, I think that's some of the negative side of it is look I, i've certainly found out who my true friends were and and what you know some people just wanted to be near me that's cool some people had always been there and, and are still there and i have a you know i have probably five really good mates that that have always been there and know exactly who i am and you know trust them with my life been there life and death situations yep. of guys and and have had my back and i've had theirs and i think i've been very fortunate that i have maintained those relationships but let's be honest i've cut people along cut people away along the way yep. and I've cut them away for different reasons some of them were you know negative people or whatever they're going through their own situation at that point in time and there's periods where people are coming in and out of my my circle I suppose is a good way of defining it yeah because of their own sort of personal you know situations are going and then I'm always there the doors are always open for me to, to yeah. reconnect with them right but I, I did I felt at a certain point that there was a number of individuals you know not my close friends around me that were that were absolutely bringing me down and changing my mentality nearly going well you know, having a negative negative impact on me. And I, I think I came home one night and it's like, well, I think that's that's starting to affect me. I think it's time that I, I stopped spending so much time with him. And I did and all of a sudden, you know, a couple of weeks later, again, I have a bit more energy and 
a lot more positive about things and it's fascinating by how you you know the, those that you have around you and how they can affect your performance and, and your mindset absolutely and we talk about that transitioning in purpose and as, as you even transition in your purpose at a major or minor level there's then that subsequent adjustment adjustment to the physical and human terrain around you and you know, I particularly want to situate this in the context of, you know, coming out of 2020 being COVID. Mm. A lot of people have been pushed into things like, you know, isolation, uncertainty, a lot of those aspects that, again, veterans transitioning from defence or anyone transitioning out of anything, be that levels of performance or career or purpose, um, are, are going through. And what I've found really across the board is, you know, then people are really surprised when it finally catches up that that also requires a transition often to the people you keep around you. Because as you change, then those around you either have to sort of change with you to authentically support your purpose but, or, yeah. or you attract new ones. Um, and it's just actually appreciating that that's a normal part of life. Absolutely, 100%. Man. That's, a, that's a very articulate way of putting it. But it, it is, for me, I have noticed, certainly I've, I've had those in defence that are still, still my friend from day one, yeah. right? But they've, they've also changed careers as well and they've grown. Yeah. And I, I've certainly changed, you know, as a person, really changed, but how I think's changed dramatically and who I associate with changed dramatically just because of, not just because of the social circumstances I find me in, but yeah. that's just the reality of what I'm doing now, right? I'm with you. But, for, but for that's, that, that's that layer, that's that mateship layer. Yeah, you yeah. know, you've, they, you've, you've that, that purpose of mateship, purpose of the team, it's fantastic that when that is truly authentic, that's the team that goes with you regardless of what changes exactly personally right. or career-wise. Yes, 100%, and it has. I think there's a couple of good points as well I can sort of um, talk it, about there as it. well, certainly for this year. And, you know, you did mention it, but for this last year I didn't because COVID happened. I didn't set any goals at all. But this yeah. year I'm like, it's not even a New Year's resolution. It's like the start of the year. It's like what – Last year I didn't do it. This year I've got a. I won't tell you what they are because that's okay, on the personal. But I mean, for me, I think everyone needs to do that at least once a year, or you know, every six months. Go well. What am I going to achieve in these six months? Like actually write it out. Go. What am I going to achieve? Who are my mentors going to be? And you know, we could talk about professional mentors, you know, person, whatever. But have a number of mentors there as well that can help you on that journey and and actually seek them out and have that conversation. Go. Well, I want you to be a mentor for these reasons and this purpose. You know, uh, will you do that? I, I don't think I've had a single person say no to me yet uh, when I've asked them. Um, that's awesome. So I think you know that's a few things as well to keep you on track when it's when it is so Which when there's so much uncertainty and clear uh, conversations. Yeah, clear and articulate conversations. You know, I recently had one of those conversations. You know, I've always sort of danced around this whole like what is a mentor thing, and actually even comes from a place of potentially competition and pride. It's just appreciating it's actually vulnerable. It's like, hey, I don't know everything, but who's someone out there that I'm very impressed with what they do in this area or that area or, or I generally feel cares about something and looking for that personal development, but also just having those conversations and even dovetailing back to talking about those transitions and friends beforehand. So many of the, the people problems we face these days and you probably face it in the corporate world come down to not clear and articulate communication and uh, assumptions and every day mate assumptions yeah, yeah. <laughs> every day yeah yeah 100% mate 100%. Even sitting down people and say hey look you know I don't know what's going on but like what is what is your purpose like what is going on breaking down why someone is doing what they're doing um you know alleviates that uncertainty on a, on a personal level and we do have that at an intuitive level within our defense community within and those we maintain outside of you know we pick up on that but I feel it's so important for those particularly new ones who bring into our lives to actually help them better understand who we are and take the time to understand who they are. But I think another way of putting it is, you know, what's your value proposition, yeah. right? <laughs> Seriously, I'm not going to get you – know, but for me, like we do it, at, certainly do it at work all the time. Every time we touch something new, well, what's the value proposition? But you can look at that personally as well. What do I bring? Absolutely. And, and actually think about that and, and define what that is because it's going to be different for everyone. But I think it's important to 
to at least know yourself because I guarantee if you ask someone on the spot, they'd be like, oh, oh, I don't know. I'm with you. And, yeah. and doing that and even having those conversations and asking people to help you define your value proposition okay. because the next thing I want to step to is actually accountability. Yep. You know, again, within defence and outside of this and within that peer group, we maintain our own accountability. But too often I find people these days try and probably hold back some of those clear communications, try and hold back potentially some of those um, activities that you're talking about for fear of potentially not meeting up to those. Whereas I've found putting it all out there, being not being afraid to actually being wrong or having that change, but needing others to actually help me be accountable. Because if I don't have other people to help me be accountable, sometimes I can't be trusted to hold myself accountable. What's your experience oh, with accountability being? Fascinating because it is. Yeah. I mean, I've always, I've always looked at it like this. If I don't know the answer straight away, I'm like, you know, put your hand up. How, yep. are, you, how are you going to be excellent if, if, you, if you're holding all the cards and you don't, you know, you know maybe a couple of them, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. So you need those around you and that's the planning part and you don't plan in isolation or you, you don't do things in isolation. <laughs> you, need, you need the people around you, right? Yep. Absolutely. And, and I'm never afraid to go put my hand up and go, look, I honestly don't know what is going on here or – you know, this has actually happened because now that you've voiced that and you've got a number of other people in the room, you know, all of a sudden you go, well, hang on a minute, that guy over there has done 10 years in a different area that can help you resolve this problem that you've just got, but you had no idea until you voiced it. Yeah. I think it's you know, so important that we have those conversations. Absolutely. And I remember from my special forces days when I marched in as a platoon commander uh, at the end of 2010 um, I was the youngest in my platoon and two commander. <laughs> you and I had, you know, back then I had uh, the Bravo, who's a sergeant, one one and three one sergeants. My foreman was also a sergeant, and then they've all got, you know, all these corporals. And you know, for those not listening, when you do special forces selection as the NCO, you go back to a private rank and then build yourself back up again. And I had a former sergeant who was a private and all this, and you know, I say planning in isolation is planning to fail, and particularly in the the wider army as a young platoon commander, there was a lot of self-reliance on some of the tactics and come up with decisions. I always had fantastic platoon sergeants and section commanders to help me out. But I will be the first person to say that throughout every single mission I did in Afghanistan, you know, I got to sit there and just help lead and manage a f- amazing planning team who provided with me with amazing ideas. And the hardest part for me was to pick through the best pieces of each and put them all together mm. uh, and then take ownership of that, be accountable for that and communicate that in a way that then motivated people to achieve it. And, you know, then tactics on the ground but you, you're literally setting yourself up for failure if you're not willing to accept your own limitations your own vulnerabilities and then empower others to help you all to collectively be the best you can be but i mean that goes in hand with like they're helping you as well right so yeah. all of a sudden they, i'm learning they like, feel yep. responsible as well so then they've got buy-in and yeah. of course they want you to succeed because they've contributed to that plan so then you're bringing everyone along as well. Yeah, leadership, leadership 101. <laughs> now, when when you have then transitioned to and now work within the corporate space, one of the biggest things for me, I did my official transition two years ago and go back in and work with some of these corporates, is that it's unwilling to be vulnerable by accepting that they might not have the best idea and feeling like they need to know everything. Mm. You know, sitting with these people, and admittedly they haven't gone through like professional, most of them haven't gone through any form of professional leadership training. They've risen to their rank through competence in role or time in rank essentially uh, and, and they're very sort of possessive they think like you know decisions and knowledge is power mm-hmm. and trying to decouple and delink that to, to bring in that environment and and encourage people to act with initiative as opposed to being micromanaged and delegated that was one of the really insightful things i got to see from my limited exposure i'm keen to see if you've what you've encountered in yours Oh, mate, I think you've you've defined that well. I think the emotional intelligence part of it as well is is lacking greatly. And you're right; they, everyone wants to hold the cards because they they don't want to 
asked the question as well. And I, I think I found that certainly with my MBA stuff going back yeah. to there as well as we're going. If someone would say something, I'd be like, well, I don't actually know what you're talking about. <laughs> I guarantee you I'm not the only person in this room that has no idea what you're talking about. I love it. But I'm not afraid to go, well, hey, guys, I have no fucking What idea I love what is that about. that's <laughs> actually like leadership through moral courage in the most mundane daily tasks that people might gloss over. But it actually takes courage to stand up and do that. I suppose it does in a way, I, but yep. it doesn't. I don't care if I look like an idiot. I just no, but, not, but the key thing is, you're not doing it for anything other than authentic purpose. That is to learn and better yeah. understand this. At and least, yeah, you know, you're right. But, but now yeah. at least I know the answer to that. And the next time someone brings it up, I'm not going pretending that I know. Oh, okay, yep, I've got a, you know full bottle on that. Which realities I've got no bloody idea what they're talking about. Then make your decision or or a plan on something where I actually don't know the facts and have decided to cover it up because I don't want to look bad in front of other people. Absolutely. I mean. During my career, some of the best times I found was I have sort of two sayings with being in leadership position or being in charge. I look forward to the days when the job is done and it's no longer doesn't need me, or I've been able, or someone's been able to be trained up to better than me. And particularly if you have a hand in training that ne- next person up, and that's what I really that's see is particularly within the uh, even within the defence. Unfortunately, we get to see it a lot these days as well. And um, hopefully, some people can listen to hear this. But even in the corporate space, anyone in a some sort of uh, leadership role. It's actually just how much more empowering it is to bring people along the path with you and have more people who can do your job through be that redundancy so you can go on a holiday through to just building the engine power and passing on to the future of capability. It's really changing that purpose and mindset behind why you're doing something and appreciate by making people feel valued, helping them be empowered and initiative along the way. You're actually going to set everything up for better success. Mate, look, absolutely. And I, I, and so many conversations I have where there's one, one person holding the, can, the cards and it's, it's a point of, of failure often going, well, what happens if that individual disappears from this project or something? Yeah. What, what's going to happen? <laughs> redundancy. You know, Good old like, redundancy. So, anyway, yeah. Speaking about redundancy and even transitioning from defence, for a lot of us, it's a, it's a huge thing leaving defence. You know, we feel like there's literally like blood, sweat and tears and, um, you know, a lot of people have lost away that sort of leave that part of our soul back in that. But... um sort of appreciating that you leaving defence, you know, the defence's job is to put, let's say, the, the best 15 on the rugby field every single day. Um, so while we may come and go, they have to maintain that priority. And a big part of the mindset with veterans transitioning these days is feeling devalued in that transition process because they don't feel like they're sort of lingering and, and, and remembered and, and the separation is, I mean, from having your, your name spelt miscorrectly on your certificate. <laughs> I, mate, I still haven't got mine posted to me, but... It's just sort of appreciating it's very easy in that part of the transition place to allow that entitlement to keep in as opposed to appreciating that there's actually a responsibility that needs to continue. And I'm really intrigued to hear about your transition, particularly to that mining piece yeah. and how you were still able to maintain your value um, back to defence or if that was no longer a priority for you personally. No, look, absolutely. So I, I look at it like this. I chose to join. No, there was nothing. There was nothing there except for my decision. It was my decision to join up. It was my decision to leave as well. Why, and I always looked at it. Why should I expect others to do something for me when it was my decision in the first place to do it? So that's that's how I looked at it. So I suppose that's why I didn't have any negative yep. sort of connotations around that. But for me as well, I think it's difficult for people because the onboarding process. I call it the on, I'll define it as the onboarding process. We do, you know, we do our basic training, then we do our, you know, initial employment training, then we do specialised courses, and but then you leave defence and say, well, this is what I've done for X amount of years. Uh, there's a transition ceremony uh, thing now potentially, uh, which is a couple of hours of someone talking at me, and then all of a sudden I'm on my own again. Yeah, 
I can I can understand. I know it's changed a lot. You know, there's there's been a number of things put in place, and we still haven't seen the outcome of all these changes that have been made. Because I know they're doing it better than what it was when I went through. That's for sure. Yeah, I didn't even attend a, a transition center ceremony. <laughs> I don't think I even the option. I think it was sent out field going. Oh, you can't do that. We've got other things for you. Yeah, good. Gotcha. Well, literally, that was a <laughs> that, that was, was a awesome conversation at that yeah. point in time. So it is. You know, it's twelve months of of onboarding, and then all of a sudden it's see you later. So I can I can understand why people feel as if they've been let down. But I mean, me personally, I never looked at it like that. And again, it's that mindset. We're going, well, again, I chose to sign up and, and I chose to, at this point in time, for whatever reason, leave. So then I had a plan after that that I put in place. Yep. And for me, it was, you know, getting licenses and, you know, heavy rigid and drivers like this and that, right? But I, I had to pay for all that. That's fine. But again, that was my choice to leave. So mm-hmm. I don't know. That's that's how I've always. No, that's good, it. mate. Taking control and you know, even as a ownership, been, mate, it's probably yeah, a better way of putting it. Taking control yeah. of your actions, essentially, like you said. I mean, one of the the interesting part, particularly in the army and defence aspect, is um, we are actually pretty self reliant individually, and then with our team. And the biggest risk for disappointment is actually when someone says they're going to do something, and you become expectant on that. Um, and there's there's part on part on them if they don't follow through with that, but there's also part on you to like allow yourself to then become reliant on others unless there's like a, a mutual respect and alliance there. So a lot of people, exactly as you're saying, all of a sudden like get to that transitions piece and be like, you know, well, you know, this is what's meant to happen and this is what I'm entitled to. And it's like, well, hey, you're now entitled actually to be responsible to utilize what you have and to actually take charge and lead yourself from this point forward because you have and as you would you Good would be able to anyway. attest to that. <laughs> I am a better Australian because I was a veteran and I have so many skill sets from just basic problem solving through to being able to manoeuvre around things to solve those problems that are so applicable in everyday life. Uh, And if you just need to sit there and like you said before, just take control and be responsible for yourself and put it into action, you're going to succeed. But if you sit back and wait for what you think you're entitled for, you're going to be waiting a long time and that's when you're going to start doubting yourself and it's going to start creeping in. Absolutely. I mean, that's a very well, you know, well said. I I have seen that personally through others and and friends that I've served with go through that journey of of hanging back and waiting and and feeling like they are entitled to something. And I've had that conversation. The longer you wait for someone, it's like you're waiting for a date. You're like, they're meant to be here. They're meant to be here. It's like, hey, they're not here. What am I going to do next? You know, and it's so hard to, and to be honest, I like, I even found myself going to one of those places a bit it was just some medical stuff i needed to do and it really actually just took others to say hey look why are you waiting like get out there and make something happen concurrently stop sitting there getting in your sads and make it happen and that's where we get back to keep making sure that you do sort of keep some of those people around you that you're able to cut through and help you to (laughs) tap back into that purpose that's my girl okay so that that's she's that person for me she absolutely is 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 for me it's we have those conversations and, and she She's a doer, that's for sure. Just yeah, good. Get stuff done, mate, and and it brings me along because I am that introvert as well, and I need that yeah. personally. So, and that's you know a person around me that certainly that helps me out. But uh, you know, I mentioned that before the mentors and your friend circle that you bring with you, yeah. mate. Keep positive people around you, and, and good things will happen for sure. How do you derive personal value? What makes you feel valued doing something? As in response from people. Have you heard yeah. of the love languages? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, What's that, yours? Mine? Uh, I think, yeah, I think abs- absolutely that is that is is doing things for others. Yeah, acts of say, service. Yeah, acts of service or, you know, acts of service is probably the best way to define it. Yeah. But what about, that's how you show love. How show, about how yeah. you receive love, how you feel valued for doing something? Yeah, I think, for, look, I think it varies for everyone, doesn't it? Yeah. I think, I think appreciation, I think acknowledgement. Yeah, gotcha. Certainly not words of affirmation, but I think, you know, a bit of, bit of acknowledgement of, 
of the fact that you have gone above and beyond or out of your way. Yeah, got you. Probably, probably all it takes, mate. So I'm with <laughs> you. So, so interesting. I want to dovetail from that into uh, the Victoria Cross. Um, and in particular, mate, you know, the next round we're going to talk, go into talk to the book in detail. But one key point I wanted to bring out was um, there's some conversation in your book talking about when the Australian Day 2011 came around uh, and the, a bunch of honours and awards were passed on to the boys uh, but your name wasn't in there and everyone obviously within the group thought that you um, performed to the most uh, and th- that feeling within you, was there the potentially a feeling that you had performed to a level whereby um, you expected some form, not expected some or not entitled to, but let's just say qualified for some form of recognition and you're allowed to say that because you've gone in and seen the benchmark and not saying a Victoria Cross or anything, but just some form of you went above and beyond and what had previously occurred, that sent a benchmark that that set in your mindset and expectation there. And then how that felt when you sort of weren't recognised and all your other peers were. But that's, that's an interesting, a number of different things there. I think the first one is I was, I was actually really happy that those that I had nominated were, were actually, because I, you know, I wrote up a number of individuals as well because what I saw was you know, amazing work, exceptional work on the ground and under trying circumstances. Yep. So I think there's a bit of pride there as well going, you know, these, you know, the boys done well and they've been recognised for that. For me personally, and I have always said this and, and absolutely believe it, is I was just doing my job at that point in time. Yep. Albeit from a tactical point of view, potentially wasn't that sound because I knew the ramifications. If I had got shot, would have taken more team members out and, that, yeah. you know, yeah, all that sort of stuff. I lost the advantage. So for me, I didn't really dwell on it too much. It was a, a bit of a, oh, yeah, I've left defence. I've transitioned out. I've, I was out by that point in time and, and, you know, I was working the mine. So I thought for me, uh, I look back there and, and at that time and I certainly wasn't um, expecting anything, no. I thought, oh, well, it's, I've just been looked over because because I've transitioned out. Honestly, that was the thought process gotcha. at that point in time. But okay. I think I was just happier that those that I'd seen do exceptional work were recognised. Yeah. Oh, good. Okay. That's really – no, it's, man, it's, it's beautiful to hear that. I mean, you would have obviously – you know, you're, you're, you're a corporal, you're a section commander at that time, and you obviously have some perspective of what was the usual um, – not expectation, but usual sort of standard by which things could be measured – um, after seeing others get honours awards and things like that and then what you wrote up for your guys and saw them get theirs. Did it ever make you doubt not receiving an award um, of what you did and the importance of what you did or did it ever change and make you doubt if you were potentially thinking that what you did was more spectacular than what it was? Mate, that For that circumstance in Afghanistan that, that day, I would say no. But funnily you should bring that up because there was another incident in Iraq you know, in 2006 where I – like I personally at that point in time thought I went above and beyond here at this point You're in time right. and no one saw what I did. <laughs> you know what I mean? And there was no recognition whatsoever. You're right. And it, but that is, how strange is that? Yeah. And then I did, Afghan comes around and, you know, there's all this stuff going on and yep. life and death sort of situations and, and I didn't think – I didn't have that mentality whatsoever. Yeah. Completely different. But I, but I did for this other incident which was – which was years before where I'm like, well, you know, I did something pretty exceptional here and, you know, didn't even get a, a look in yeah. or anything, not even a pat on the back. Well, what about since then? There's so, been a lot of water under the bridge. There's been a lot more um, honours and awards given out since then. And as you then look back through not only your career, but the career of others that you served with during Iraq and Afghanistan, I find myself looking back and going, you know, there was definitely a point where uh, I definitely felt that um, myself and others I was with sort of probably standardised a lot of excellent things. Um, and again, it's sort of like doing your job and, 
it's difficult sometimes not to buy into the the medallic recognition, the the um, giving and receiving gifts or the words of affirmation, essentially. Particularly when um, I don't know about you, but the defence culture I got brought up in was very reliant on that being the demonstration of um, experience, if not competence. Uh, and then looking back and seeing, was there potentially times whereby, hey, you know, guys actually did exceptional things that by today's unit of measure might have been more recognisable back then? Mate, that, that is the floor on the orders and award system, isn't it? Because I can tell you right now, at the start of my journey of doing operational deployments to the end of it, operating a very different to a, certainly a different standard, a higher standard and level and, and doing things that, you know, 10 years previously you would think were amazing and, uh, you know, not even possibly human. So... That is that is the flaws that we have within the system, but yeah, absolutely, that is true. Where the normal, <laughs> the norm can become very strange very quickly, and what I mean by that is, you know, the, the fact of even getting shot at yeah. becomes normal, or IEDs going off around you, or you know, rockets coming in, and it becomes normal. But I mean, that's not normal, right? No, absolutely, but it is to our world. It, it certainly is to those that not only is it, not only is it normal, it's desirable. <laughs> <laughs> But it is, but it's, yeah. so, man, it is, it's so, it is so strange how then you define what is a benchmark, right? What is a benchmark? Because all of a sudden, you know, you're in the, into it all the time. So then the standards, the, you're setting higher standards for yourself and your team as you go along as well, right? So it gets to the point where you're doing things potentially that, that, you know, even 12 months ago, if you're in country, you wouldn't have even dreamt of doing that or have the confidence to do that as well. Yeah. So it, it is, it's strange to then signal someone out when you're performing at that high level to go, have they gone above and beyond at this point in time? Yep. And the answer is, well, everyone's gone above and beyond at this point in time. So. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to close out on um, honours and awards. And again, in the next episode, really going to go on to and speak in some great more detail on your book, mate, because um, it's, it's an absolute must read. But So a large part, again, I'm just trying to close off this entitlement piece and the honours and awards. I sort of have some personal issues with the way in which we approach honours and awards, not honours and awards in itself. So... My personal experience was, you know, I, I went to uh, join Turai, I went to Timor. By the time I got to Two Commander, again, like I was saying, I was one of the youngest as a platoon commander. At the mess, I had my Timor gong, my coat gong, and that was about it. And uh, I was I was around dudes who had, like, you know, chests full of, you know, you did an SOTG deployment in 2010. You know, I got to the unit in 2010, and guys had already done them beforehand as well. And um, there was definitely a culture there whereby um, medallic recognition equaled um, competence, um, let alone experience and that that wasn't harbored by all that was harbored by some and then i really feel like during defense we've gone down this bit of a uh, a road whereby a lot of people are uh, we've standardized excellence first and foremost we haven't actually appreciated some of the amazing situations we've been in through hindsight and then particularly a lot of those who weren't there and haven't lived those have then standardized um, people's performance in those by the medallic recognition for that and a lot of people I have found have sort of felt um, devalued or undervalued given that they didn't receive some form of recognition for what they did um, over there. But then this goes back to the conversation that most people are then able to quickly come about is that, like, what, what did you do it for? Did you do it for medallic recognition? Are you defined by a medal? Are you defined by someone recognising what you did? Or is it coming down to the reason why you did it? And are you happy with the performance that you personally achieved out there? Now, sitting there as a Victoria Cross recipient, you know, you, I'm not going to ask you there whether you think you deserve it. I've read the book. Others, just, others said that you have deserved it, mate. And regardless, I mean, you sit here as a fantastic ambassador for um, the, the medal itself, let alone what you did over there during your time. But you get to be in that position of being changed by getting the medal itself, um, having 
what you've been done defined by medallic recognition of the highest order. Um, while you're swimming around in those thoughts and comments, I really love your insights on those who potentially feel lesser because they haven't received medallic recognition, those who potentially place a lot of entitlement in their own medallic recognition, and really drilling into um, helping people identify and connect with their purpose behind doing things and not requiring affirmation of others to do their best performance. Lots to unpack there. <laughs> Over uh, to you. <laughs> no, yeah, well, okay. So I think I would start by saying, and I've said this multiple times, one day in my life will not define me. Right? Good. So that, that straight away, that's my mentality. Daily with, renewable with, contract. Yeah, with that, right. Mm-hmm. So the next thing is, and, and I get approached often, uh, you know, having the Victoria Cross from individuals, and, and one of the first things that annoys me the most from someone that has served and has chosen to serve when they say, well, I've never been anywhere, I haven't gone anywhere, like as if they're lessening themselves straight away by the fact that they haven't had an opportunity to go on an operational deployment. And usually I pull people up straight away because I I say straight away is that, mate, or whoever they are, at this point in time, you have no power realistically whether or not the government or your unit chooses to take you up over someone else and send you on operational deployment. You decided to serve and you chose to serve. That's all that matters to me. Absolutely. Everything else I couldn't care less about. If you've got a number of gongs, if you've been on 20 operational deployments, it doesn't matter anything. Like some of the some of the individuals, yes, it's a it's you've obviously been thinking your experiences uh, are those because you can see them, but just because you don't have medals on your chest doesn't mean you don't have your own experiences and you haven't got your own uh, things to impart and share with others as well. Absolutely. So that's how I see that, honestly. Oh, um, that's powerful. You signed up for service. You signed up for uncertainty. Yep. I would say a large part of a lot of the successes I found in my career actually came down to opportunity, you know, and as long as I was good at my job and a good person and often right place, right time, it's performance in those opportunities. And you've obviously, and, and so many of the guys that you've served with, so many of the guys I've served with have gone above and beyond and exalt themselves in that but it's being you need to once you have to be in those opportunities to, to test yourself to be able to apply your skill sets and those of your team Look, absolutely and, and you're right we wouldn't get repeat work or wouldn't do something if we weren't weren't good at it right yeah but you had to put yourself out there to to then take that step to then have a crack at it and then also get recognized because you've done an exceptional job yep. but uh, anyway so we've all gone over the place at the yeah, moment sorry. But we'll go back to to that point i made is is that is for me that is honestly how i look at it where no matter who you are no matter what you've done you, you chose to serve and that's that that's the benchmark there that's it for me yep. everything else i couldn't care less how many places you've been for me you know I, I nearly chose not to wear my medals for remembrance day and then i had to check myself not because of not because of any reason other than well i know i don't need to to wear them like because i was doing the national address this year uh last year (laughs) (laughs) we're on the border yeah yeah Uh, and for me it was just uh, i had to check myself going oh how would that be perceived if i didn't actually wear my medals that particular but for me that's it's just it is for me honestly yeah it's sure it's recognition of of where i've been but i know where i've been i don't i don't need to display that all the time and and show people that that's it's a lag been. indicator it doesn't define you tomorrow it defines what you've done but then it's like what are you going to do with that from here on absolutely man yeah so honestly that's that's how i look at it um yeah wow so interesting no i absolutely love that mate it's great to it's great to hear that unfortunately so many people particularly outside of the military you know be that a promotion of work whatever it is um public praise we're getting back to these love languages and i actually hate that defense has built such a system where 
giving and receiving gifts and public affirmation is actually so much by watch people measure themselves because I even remember it running the selection course. I love the quiet achiever, the person who doesn't need recognition in order to absolutely kill themselves um, metaphorically mm. uh, to, to, to do what is needed yeah. for the team yeah. and for others. And they're the people that you know, are worth their weight in, in absolute gold. Um, you can't melt them down from cannons, but uh, they're worth their weight in absolute gold. So it's fascinating to hear that from you. And a lot of people might sit back and say, that, you know, that's easy when you're the Victoria Cross winner. But as we've heard here before, mate, like that's actually a responsibility. You know, as opposed to being able to rest on your laurels, you now have a responsibility to, to put that to use moving forward. So how's that for the gift that keeps on giving? Yeah. <laughs> And look, I am happy to talk about, you know, I, I do honestly uh, still to this day not think I'm worthy worthy of, of what, it, what it is because, I mean, as I said, I've got a book behind with all these names in there and, and the feats, right, of, of what they've done and what they've been through. Uh, but for me, look, I look back at that day and, and I was doing my job and potentially I should be dead for it. Did I change the course of the battle that day for my actions? And yeah, that's debatable. But honestly, you know, I, I often wonder what my life would be like not, not always because I don't dwell on things too often. Yep. If I had have said no, it would be very different yep. um, to what it is now, but then it wouldn't have afforded me the opportunity again to then talk about veteran issues and then to promote and support those that, that really need it. Well, mate, sitting here talking to you, I'm so glad that you do have the Victoria Cross simply for your actions that you did on that day. And I I know the, the menaces such as the Tim Hurleys and a few of the other other boys in between. I definitely had had my ad for Tim. days and since since then. <laughs> I love the part about someone else dressed him that morning at your medal ceremony. <laughs> Tim do a tea. <laughs> but, mate, the fact that you are, are sitting here with a sense of responsibility, with a purpose that is giving back to the community and conducting yourself in the way you are and the language you're using and, like, really breaking down and helping to define that you are truly and authentically you, apart you from reading that. Mate, it, it's fantastic and... Um, Again, I've met some very high-performance people um, who uh, have been thrust up into those areas and it's very easy for them to then segue off to that entitlement, segue off to that arrogance, segue off to um, being anything but the role model and you've done the complete opposite and I have no doubt that it has been, uh, hasn't been has been all smooth sailing for you. But the one thing I like to do with this podcast, mate, is first and foremost, thank you for your service. Thank you for everything you are currently doing to the veteran community. And I know there's so many gold nuggets that people are going to be able to draw out of this, whether they're veterans or whether they're not. But I don't like um, just doing uh, one-hit wonders. I like to then come back in six, or three, six or 12 months and actually check in to see how you're going, how you're doing and what's changed in your perspective. And as I said before, a little bit about accountability. Like I don't want to go into your personal goals, but... You know, what, what's something that when we check back in with you, be that in six months, be that in 12 months, you would like to, to see that you progress with personally or hold yourself to an accountability? Yeah, look, I mean, I'm happy to define some of them. Some of them, you know, okay. personal where it's, you know, last year I didn't go to the gym once. No, actually, that's that's wrong. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I, I, I uh, buzzed on <laughs> this year and it's like I went 17 times last year. That was it. Wow. Got it. Okay. So for, for someone who, you know, was going five, six days a week training all the time to – 12 months without even going in and not looking after myself. So Good. personal goal this year is, you know, training four days a week again and have been oh, – it's only two weeks in, right? Yeah, gotcha. <laughs> no, good, good, good. But, yep, you know, two weeks in. And Brizzy says it's first COVID trap. Well done. And still still managed to train, right? So yeah, good. committed again, right? Again, refocused on that. One of them, you know, is, you know, not drinking as much alcohol. Yeah, you know? gotcha. Stuff like that. One of them's director's course. So – getting in and, and getting involved in that. And that's a, a goal this year that I wanted to, to do. Um, so usually there's an element of 
bettering yourself through some sort of further learning. That's me personally, whether it be an online course or something. That's what every year I try and try and do something. Okay. Um, those brain short, cells fine. Yeah, whether it's a yep. short course or, or something. And that's only happened in the last couple of years where where that, I think that that's that's an ongoing goal of mine. Well, this year there's a project. What's it going to be? What am I going to learn this year? Yep. And every year going forward is, as well, I'll continue to do that. So it's only been a few years in. But for me, that's I think that's important. Um, I love that. Everyone mate. picks their own goals and what they want to do. But for me, you know, there's a few other ones there as well. But um, what was it, mate? Yeah. We have a Victoria Crossers who've been here telling us that he wants to exercise more and, and drink less and continue with his self development. Yeah. Like just appreciating, understanding that, mate. Be that in the corporate life or whatever. When people start to, um, t- when time gets tough, when people get busy, when people get um, depressed, when they get anxious, these are some of the first things that start to creep in or go by the wayside. And mate, you're, you're sitting here as a modern day hero, you know, saying that you know back to the basics are still so critical for you. So if there's even anything that people have been listening to our waffle can pull away from this. Like investing in yourself. So important. <laughs> How can you deal with the challenges if you haven't invested in yourself and you haven't got the foundations there to deal with everything else, right? That's, that's how I look at it. It's probably a, a good way of defining it is the foundations and that is yourself. How, you know, looking after your mental health, looking after your, your physical health, look, looking after yourself, right? So yeah. then you can go out there and absolutely, you know, absolutely kill it, right? And Do well. What I even love is this progression, mate. You really help articulate to us your emotional power, your intrinsic motivation, your purpose, giving back to the community. In, in your work, um, in all the forms of work that you currently do, that community you're surrounding yourself with those people to help you be inspired, be motivated and be accountable. And then you finally have time now, hopefully in this next year, to start looking after yourself, you know, work your way back into that core and help yourself. It is, yeah. Looking, you know, last year was a bit of a, you know, a, a change. <laughs> look, look, it was a change, certainly a change again in routine. Yeah. so strange when your routine gets thrown out, right? So I think that's part of it. It's... It is that routine as well, and that routine happens to have yeah training in there, and and again personal development in there as well, because that Good was enough. my routine beforehand. Yep. I think it's important to get back to that, and I guess those positive things, get rid of the negative things that crept in, and and focus again on the positive things that were part of my life going forward. Love it, mate. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure. I look forward to speaking with you again. Thanks so much for being on. More than happy to chat with you again in a few months. Cool. Thanks, Dan. Cheers, mate. Thanks for listening to the Voice of a Veteran podcast. We really hope that there were some key takeaways that might help you be they relatable, be they aspirational, that we're not just here for your entertainment. So please make sure you remember, move on and action from here. And that's it, guys. If you've heard something here today that has truly helped you, it's our duty to share that information with as many as we can. Support is about being proactive and that's taking action to better our own lives as well as the lives of as many mates as we can. We love your support getting these messages out, so please subscribe. Go to our YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Voice of a Veteran. Catch you next time. See ya.